This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Recording on my end with this wonderful piece of software called Audacity. Yeah. I can't believe they had the audacity to release this piece of shit. <laughs> See what I did there? I, yeah, I, I got that, yeah. <laughs> Forewarning, I've had a lot of coffee today. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Mark in San Francisco. This is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Phase. What's on the agenda for today? You want to talk about testing? Yes. Yes. So do you, uh, what, what's your experience like uh, testing? And when I'm saying testing, I mean like TDD style testing. Full stack testing in iOS. I've done some testing, but I still consider myself to be at a very beginner level when it comes to actual test-driven development and not just testing after the fact. Most of the testing that I've done has been testing something after the fact. Right, to like prevent regressions and that kind of stuff. Or like you find a bug, so you fix the bug and then write a test to make sure that the bug doesn't pop up again. Or write the test to validate the bug's existence then fix the test yeah so that's close i mean that's getting closer to like true tdd style stuff right so uh aside from just like experience level like just not doing it what what do you think are some of the like what's keeping you from um diving into TDD? Is it just uh, you don't understand the practice or you're just not used to the practice or is it a tools thing? With most of my recent projects, there just really hasn't been enough time mm-hmm. to get into it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I need to be practicing this on the side so that it's not holding up my you know, actual day job, working on client work, teaching myself how to do TDD, flailing about and wasting a bunch of time. So that's it, though. It's just a. It's just a. Yeah, I get the basic principle, and I, you know, testing an interface and not testing an implementation. Mm-hmm. But I still only work at like a very basic level. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure I'm super skilled with like mocking and stubbing, spies, etc. Yeah, I don't consider myself like an expert by any means. I totally like drink the Kool Aid on it, right? Like I, I get it. And I get why it's awesome, and I want to do it everywhere, um, but I still kind of suck at it. Like at like a super high level, I, c- I know I could improve my testing just like I could improve everything else, right? Like it's just a skill, so I'm trying to get better at it. But I'm I've been doing it like more and more, like hardcore TDD, always test first. I've lucked out in that my client that i've been on for a while now their lead ios guy wanted to do the same thing at the same time right so like we both kind of you know the client was there and the client wanted to do a lot of testing and so i was able to kind of step into that and learn alongside um alongside the client inside the client project which helped a lot and got to play with like a bunch of different frameworks and you know 
really kind of formed some opinions after doing it for this long on especially on iOS, right? Because iOS isn't Rails and ra- like Rails I I think we can still learn a lot from where Rails is now, especially like our coworkers, the Thoughtbot Rails devs. Like where they are on testing is like light years beyond where I am. And so I think that we can learn a lot from what Rails is doing in terms of testing. But it's not like a one-to-one. It's always been a problem for me trying to translate what the Rails guys do to what's going to work on iOS just because the uh, frameworks are so vastly, vastly different. How do they differ? I mean, how, how have you found that, like, what's available to you to test your code differs between what the Rails guys are using and what is available to us? So, like, tools-wise? Yeah, frameworks. Yeah. I think that I think that the Rails the Rails tools for testing are much more mature than the iOS tools for testing. Um on Rails you kind of have from so full disclosure this is my completely super limited knowledge of Rails just by sitting in a room full of Rails devs like this is my understanding of testing on Rails so if this is wrong uh you can email mark at thoughtbot.com with corrections. Like on Rails, like you kind of have the two camps boiling down to like RSpec or test unit as the two main frameworks. And then inside, and then like that's at the unit testing level. And then for like acceptance integration test stuff, you have Capybara WebKit, I think is what they use to like drive the UI versus like Cucumber, right? So, um, but all of those, all four of those things are like super mature. They've been around for a while. They've been under heavy, heavy, heavy use on big, big projects for a while. Um, And we don't have that yet on iOS. And Apple has shown very, very little interest in supporting testing up till now. Like they did when they announced OC unit. I think they announced OC unit. When they announced OC unit, they announced it along with alongside core data and it was like their big thing was like core data is totally unit tested. And so here's this unit testing framework we have to go along with it. And that's literally the last time they talked about testing before this past WWDC, which I don't think we can talk too much about. But That's not exactly true. I mean, UI automation. UI, UI automation, but UI automation isn't designed for a testing. Like it's designed to drive drive the UI, but it's not designed to drive the UI to do acceptance testing. At least my understanding is that it is not. And no, I don't think that's correct. You think it is designed to do that? Yeah, I've written integration tests that eventually boil down to UI automation. I was using Boken and CopyScript. Right, but so Boken is using UI automation to do the integration testing thing. My 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 understanding and I'm not I don't I haven't looked into UI automation itself a whole 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 lot. Um, the JavaScript kind of immediately kept me from wanting to look at it because I just have no interest in JavaScript. But I'm of the opinion that if Apple really cared about that kind of testing, they would have built, uh, they would have just opened up UI automation to Objective-C. You know what I mean? Like they didn't build their unit testing framework in JavaScript. They built their UI driving framework in JavaScript. And I think that's telling of how much they care about it. 
Kind of. And it does seem like an odd choice. I'd love to know why they went with JavaScript. Like at what meeting they settled and they're like, okay, we're going to open this thing up, but you have to write JavaScript to drive the UI. Yeah, and you have to run it through instruments. Like you don't run it through Xcode. You run it through instruments. Right. You know? It's more about – it's it's always seemed to me – and I know there's people that have used it to create things like Woken, and there's a book that just came out on pragmatic programmers. Uh, I'll look it up real quick. There's a, uh, there's a book that came out um, on the pragmatic – from the pragmatic programmers by uh, Jonathan Penn called Test iOS Apps with UI Automation. It's – you know, in the book, he talks about, he says, learn how to script the user interface, assert correct behavior, stub external dependencies, reproduce performance problems, organize test code, and automate the whole process so the machine does the work. So the, the UI automation is definitely, like, a nice framework, but I think the fact that it's so hidden away, one, it's hidden away in, in instruments, um, and they haven't put like when was the last time you do they do wwdc sessions on it like i can't remember seeing a ui automation wwdc session on like properly using ui automation so there's people out there that are using it to do some really cool stuff and i'm not saying that that's not the case i'm saying that oc unit and or you know the new thing or ui automation to me are in two separate categories right my sense has always been that UI automation is more about performance stuff. So instead of me tapping this button 100 times and making sure I don't have a memory leak, I'll just script the UI to tap the button 100 times and make sure I don't have a memory leak. That's interesting. I've never thought about UI automation that way. Yeah. I, I always just assumed that it was for integration testing. But, yeah, if you're trying to reproduce the same case and check to see if the changes you're making to the code are actually increasing the performance. Right. You know, using like heap shot analysis and stuff, right. that actually makes a lot of sense. Right. And at that point, UI automation makes more sense as a framework as a whole, right? Like the, just the whole way it's set up, the fact that you run it through instruments, the fact that it's written through JavaScript, all this stuff makes more sense if you think about it as less of a testing framework and more of an automate. I mean, it's the name, right? It's, it's about automating the UI so that, so that you can, you know, run the profiler and, and make sure that you're not, you know, missing a dialic or a release statement somewhere. You know what I mean? Right. I'm wondering if if they settled on JavaScript because it was easier to output JavaScript via the, the capture tool. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Easier than generating, say, Objective-C that does the same thing, maybe with private API, kind of like how KIF is built. KIF, KIF by Square, by the way. Right. Should, clarify yeah we'll get it we'll get to that <laughs> yeah um yeah that that makes a lot of sense you know um if that's the intended use case to like click record and then do an action and then hit play and just do that action a hundred times then using javascript makes sense because you want to yeah like you said it's easier to it's easier for them to output that code and they're not intending you to write it by hand. They're intending you to drive the user interface and then play it back. So um, so I think that's interesting, but I don't think it gets as far enough at a testing, like at a at a integration slash acceptance testing level, whatever you want to 
call it UI level testing. You know, um, I think it gets a, like I think it gets us part of the way there, but I don't think that you, you can take a framework like Boken, right? Um, which we'll link to, but um, so Boken is a is a framework that you've used and I have not, but it's essentially a, a wrapper on top of UI automation's JavaScript interface but it's all written in CoffeeScript and so you actually write out your tests by hand in CoffeeScript and then you can run them from the command line right correct yeah we we had a rake task that would fire it up run it in the simulator and so it does it does it drives the UI and then it also um makes assertions based on the UI right so you would say like click over to this view and then you should see these things on the screen right and the way it's written, I believe, kind of um, encourages you to use the page model right. yeah. uh, pattern yep. when it comes to driving the UI in that way. Do you think we should explain what that is? Probably. Yeah, go, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Am I explaining to you? <laughs> Roughly, but I don't want to explain it wrong. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like an expert on it, but my, my understanding on the page model, which I – I'm I'm fascinated by this pattern. I think it's great, especially from an acceptance testing, um, from an accept, uh, from the stance of an acceptance testing thing. I think it's I think it's a really really nice abstraction. The idea is to have an object that represents the screen that is displayed. So it comes from Selenium, which is uh, a web driver that runs through Firefox, I believe. And so that's why it's the page model object because it comes from web development. But you'd have one object that just represents like a specific screen. So maybe the screen is five levels deep in a stack, but you just say like screen visit, right? You just have a method on it. And the page object model knows how to get to itself. And then once it can get to itself you would say like inside the acceptance testing framework, you would say something like um, if it's a page that's supposed to perform an action, you would say page perform this action. And then the page would know what buttons to click to complete that action. And then you would say um, you'd make an assertion like page should have uh, a, you know, the new object on it. And then the page knows how to, figure out that it has a new object and then return a Boolean based on it. That makes sense at all. I feel like I've, <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Okay. I think. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, it's a, it's a weird abstract concept. Like it's kind of, it's kind of funky and I'm not an expert on it. Right. Like I the thing a, I liked about that was that I could define kind of abstract pages as well for like common types of user interfaces that were in the app I was writing integration tests for. So it's very common that there'd be something in a navigation controller and the left bar button item would be edit and the right bar button item would be add. And then when you're in edit, it would be done. So we could just kind of specify at the high abstract level, tap the left button, tap the right button. And then the lower level models could override that and provide an interface that's more specific, add a to-do, and then it would say, okay, well, I'm just going to tap my right bar button item. Yeah, right, right. So it, it allows you to keep things clean, refactor your tests, I think are as important as refactoring your code, avoiding duplication and the like. 
one of the things I've been really strong on recently inside code reviews is like when I was first getting into test, the testing stuff, I would do code reviews and I kind of skim over the tests and I felt kind of crappy about it, but in the, like, I just didn't have a real good grasp on what they were supposed to be doing. So I didn't know what I was checking for. And at this point, one of the things in, I, I code review tests almost as, probably more stringently than I do production code, right? Like I've said a couple times in code review comments, like we wouldn't do this in production code. So why are we letting it slide in the testing code? Like hacky code is hacky code, whether it's in the tests or it's in the, in the production app. Um, I think it's important to keep the code quality up. Can you give an example of that? Are we talking about unit tests or integration tests? Yeah, it was mostly unit tests because the integration integration tests tend to be kind of almost in their own language um, because you're using like every everything out there is using a different kind of um, it's a different framework and the, and there are all these self-contained frameworks, right? Like Woken is completely self-contained. You're writing in in JavaScript or coffee script rather but you're not using the same patterns as you would maybe in your unit tests and kif is written in a very very specific way with scenarios and steps and all this stuff and everything just kind of has its, all the stuff at the acceptance testing level has its own has its own language um but at the unit testing level you know yeah doing i, I can't think of anything specific big big tests i guess just large overly large tests and it's like well or like doing a lot of object setup and it's like well can't we pull this out into a category like we wouldn't do this much object setup a category or a new object you know like like if you have to set up if you have to set up a fake instance of like a user instead of just doing like user.name equals foo user dot you know address like instead of just setting all that up like i've been getting really into using categories that are only pulled into the test bundle that like do that kind of stuff for you. And that's that specifically is like one of those things, like if you kept setting up the same object over and over and over again, you wouldn't just set it up everywhere. You know what I mean? You would build some kind of wrapper around a factory, a factory method or, um, or maybe it's like a, a subclass or something like you would do something there. Like, I don't know exactly what you do, but you wouldn't let that fly in production code. So, right. Have you run into any instances where you can't do a normal refactor like you would in production code because of how the test framework expects things to work? Or Yeah, definitely. So what are you using right now for unit testing? On my client's project, we're using um, Kiwi, which is a super popular unit testing framework. It's basically our spec, so it's behavior-driven. Instead of... The, the difference there being that instead of just raw OC unit or GH unit or uh, I guess those are really the two big ones, right? But so OC unit is the one built in by Apple. That's Apple's framework. It's designed to test methods, right? So like I test, I call this method and I'm testing the return value or side effects on that method. But it's designed to test like the whole unit testing idea is about testing the smallest possible part of the code piece of code that you can test. And, it, and most of the time that's at the method level, right? So like you have a test class that's testing like a model class. And then each test is testing a method in that model, right? So test that set foo sets foo kind of a thing. And then you say, 
thing dot foo equals blah, you know, and then test assert. Uh, what's the? It's like I don't remember. But there's like an assert. There's an assert macro that then you call on a value to assert that a thing is set up the right way, right? So that's 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 the kind of strict TDD approach. And then Kiwi is based off of RSpec, which is a, a behavior-driven development approach where you describe behavior about an object. So I'm not necessarily describing uh, the the method itself and the return value of the method itself, but I'm describing a behavior that an object should should have. So you have like it's basically blocks inside of blocks inside of blocks inside of a macro it's super weird like when you actually dig into what it's doing it's kind of crazy it's building oc unit it's built on top of oc unit so it's building oc unit test cases at runtime and then like passing them back into the testing bundle so it's kind of freaking it's kind of hacky and kind of weird but it gets the job done do you think that's a good thing i mean is the only benefit just so you can run your tests inside of xcode and write them in Objective C, right? Yeah. And and the other benefit is that like there. So the other frame the there's two other big frameworks: GH Unit, which is GitHub's, not GitHub. What am I saying? Google is from Google. Uh, it's there. They have a unit testing framework, and I think it does acceptance testing. I think it does UI testing as well. GH Unit does. Um, and it's weird. It's got like a. They have their own like iOS app that ends up running and displaying the results in the iOS app and a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. Yeah, I think GHUnit can do uh, snapshotting. Yeah, right? yeah, it does screenshots and then it shows if it's if the if the view changes and it's outside of a threshold that you've set for how different that screenshot can be, it it says like, Hey, this screen changed. Do you want to accept the new screen or reject it and so like you reject it then the test fails if you accept it then it saves the new screenshot and you move us along and then the other one is uh cedar from pivotal labs um and i actually don't know that much about cedar we had evaluated it a while back but i think the thing that pushes us away from it is the same thing as gh unit which is that it has its own it has its own infrastructure that you need to run it in, right? Like you can't run those, you can't run GH unit or Cedar tests from inside Xcode. And beyond that, like you can't use Xcode's own error handling that's built into its testing frameworks, right? Like when I smash command U in a Kiwi test and I get a test failure, I also get like a, you know, failure, uh, warning me- or an error message in the sidebar and i can click on that and it brings me right to the failed test and i don't get that out of c as far as i know i don't get that out of cedar or gh unit so um so yeah kiwi is a way to write nicer looking tests behavioral driven tests but still be able to be in objective c still be able to be inside the xcode environment um, which is really nice and so that's what we've been using on the client project. And it does a lot of cool stuff too, right? It does um, mocks and stubs and spies are all built into Kiwi. So being able to set up a, a fake, like a null object representing something so that, you know, it doesn't do anything. Like it's good for keychain stuff, right? Stub out the thing that's interacting with the keychain with a null object. And now you don't have to worry about stuff actually getting saved into the keychain when it's being run inside your 
tests, which is great because that can be a huge headache down the line. Um, and so I really, I really like Kiwi. Kiwi's been really, really good, really stable. Um, but I've been recently, I've been looking at uh, Specta and Xpecta, which is a matcher framework for it. And I really kind of like it. It's a much more modular approach. So where, where with Kiwi, all you need is Kiwi. Like you can just, you can install it through CocoaPods and that's all you need is Kiwi. Specta, in order to get Specta up and running, you probably need three different libraries. You need Specta, which is just the spec syntax. Expecta, which is the um, expectation syntax. And then you probably want OC mock as well, which is a mocks and stubs framework. And it can do assertions based on mocks and stubs. So like if you say, um, this object should get this message when I do this other thing, you do that through OC mock instead of through um, Specta. Whereas in Kiwi, it's all just one thing. But I kind of like the fact that it's modular because it means that if a better matcher framework comes out, I can just use that better matcher framework. Or if a better mocking and stubbing framework comes out, I can just use that mocking and stubbing framework. Or if a better spec framework comes out, I can just use that. Right. So I've been getting more and more and more into libraries that do right single responsibility principle but for for at like a at like a library level like i really like that specta all it cares about is setting up tests that run on top of oc unit and i really like that expecta all expecta worries about is defining uh matching uh an expectation syntax and i really like that the only thing oc mock cares about is mocks and stubs like that's it I think Specta does a really good job, especially in his failure messages. Failure messages. The first time I ran Specta and it failed, I was blown away because it just gave me like this really nice description of all the failure messages on it. It's made to be run. It's designed so that it can be run from the command line with um, Facebook's XC tool, which is also awesome. And so it can be run from the command line with XC tool, and so you get like this kind of nice output of here's exactly what failed so if you're not running it inside xcode you still have a nice overview of of your failures does kiwi still report that your tests succeeded if the entire thing just fails to run that's an oc unit thing that's not kiwi but yeah yes first of all yes that's that's so annoying that's xcode that's not that's Xcode and that's OC unit. I don't think that has anything to. I think every framework inside Xcode is going to suffer from that same problem. But yeah, if the like if the build succeeds, but then for example the simulator is still in use, and so it can't run the tests, and so you say okay to the alert box and it kills the thing, then it automatically pops up and says test succeeded when they just hadn't run right at all. Yeah, zero zero tests executed. Right, tests succeeded. Right. So we've talked a little bit before about your client project and how you don't persist a lot of data, but you do a network requests for everything because you don't save anything. So when it comes to testing those, what advice do you have? Like, what are you using? What do you like about it? So we were using a stubbing library. So at that, at, when, when testing that kind of stuff, we're testing that the right we're essentially just testing that the request objects that are actually like that what's being sent out from the from the request objects just making sure that those are the right 
thing, right? So when I call, when I when I send this this request through AF networking, the thing that the server is getting should look exactly like this, right? It should have this JSON payload. It should have these headers, that kind of thing. And the way we're doing most of that is with we just have these really kind of extensive, um, you know, JSON, just JSON responses that are just saved inside as test fixtures. And uh, we have a pretty intricate – so we're using um, – Nocilla? Nocilla. We were using Nocilla. And we were running into problems because I think it, it matches almost too precisely with Nocilla. Like if the if the keys were out of order – then the tests were failing, right? So we were getting a bunch of intermittent failures or just kind of some weird stuff. And so we actually switched to OHHTTP stubs. Yeah, OHHTTP stubs, which you kind of you, – you were using that on a client project, and you had turned us on to that. And so I kind of relayed that to my client, and uh, we've been really happy with that. But so at the when testing like the stuff that's actually dealing with the server, we're testing that the res, that the request looks okay, and then from that point on, and anything above that, we're just stubbing the responses. So we're we have a pretty intricate system for um, stubbing responses or stubbing requests to return a very specific JSON fixture that is just saved you know in the repo with all the tests we haven't had too many problems with it there was one thing where like the we were testing fine on our end you know what i mean like this this still it doesn't it doesn't save you from all possible problems because since like we're disconnecting ourselves from the server at this point so if the server changes in any way then our app isn't gonna know that those changes happened, right? So if it starts returning, we're developing against a fake server at this point, right? The fake server is our test suite. So if the server decides it wants to return objects differently and we don't know, all of our tests are still going to pass because our tests are saying, you should see this and you should get this and, and you should send this and that kind of stuff. But once we remove the tests, like we had a problem where one endpoint for some reason needed admin authentication on the server side and our we didn't we didn't know for some reason like i can't i'm not sure exactly why we got put in this state but our all our tests were passing and even our test account like we were using a, a test account to test against the server but it actually had admin privileges on it and so someone else that didn't have admin privileges tried clicking on some button and they hit that endpoint and then it immediately locked them out. Like it just, it just, it logged them out of the app and kicked them out and it was like, what the hell? Like all of our, you know, but there's almost no way for our tests to have caught that testing. You all, you almost have to disconnect yourself from a server to a certain extent, which sucks. Right. That, that just makes it more difficult. Like when the server changes, that's a bunch of manual work then, right, to update your fixtures. So, I mean, yeah, we could we could just do a – theoretically, we could just update the fixtures by doing a curl to the endpoint and saving the response, you know. But, yeah, there's a lot of JSON that's just hanging around, just like thousands of lines of JSON that's hanging around inside these repos. Um, but I don't know that there's a really good way around that. 
I think the more interest, the most interesting place for testing and the thing I'm kind of having fun watching. And I think that, and, and the place that I'm probably snarkiest about on Twitter is around, uh, drive like the UI testing, right? So like the UI automation stuff we were talking about before. And then there's some other frameworks out there to do this kind of stuff. Woken being one of them. There's Kif, which you mentioned earlier, which is from Square. Uh, there is Frank, which is um, from one of the guys over at ThoughtWorks, um, Pete Hodgson. He's a super nice guy. What is Sh- what is Shelley? Shelley is part of Frank. So that's a weird sentence taking out of context. <laughs> so Shelley is so the way Frank works. Frank works. Frank so. Frank is cucumber testing in – it's basically a cucumber driver for uh, – or a selenium driver. I don't know how the terminology there works. But so Frank drives the UI, and then it intends for you to use cucumber or RSpec on the Ruby side. So you're actually writing all your tests and everything in Ruby, and then it's – and then – Frank is driving the UI and then handing stuff back to you. And Frank is built out of a bunch of different little modular frameworks that are kind of fascinating. One is Shelly, which is a view selection engine. So it allows you to say, um, to look up views based on their accessibility labels by passing in like a a specially formatted string. So I say button, you know, button label foo, and it'll just search through the view hierarchy to find a button that has that accessibility label. And that's like all Shelly does. That's that's what Shelly's good for. And then there's also a framework called Public Automation that can take view. It's a thin wrapper around UI accessibilities. No, sorry, UI Automation's Objective C framework that allows you to interact with um, UI Automation through um, Objective C. So there is actually an Objective-C library for UI automation, but Apple hasn't exposed it. So this just wraps that. Oh, okay, I see. And Frank uses those two to help drive stuff through. Um, so it has like some translation stuff from Ruby to Objective-C, and it Frank drives the UI with those two, but you write everything in Ruby. Can you remind me what the problems were that you were having with Frank about a year ago? I, I personally was having problems with it corrupting the app binary on the simulator, um, but I'm still not 100% sure if that was something I was doing wrong or something that was set up incorrectly or what. But the way Frank Frank injects a web server into the app binary or to, into the app bundle. So it, there, it also has, it has this thing called um, Symbiote. Symbiote? Symbiote. You're the biology guy. How do you say that? I'm not a biology guy. Sim- I'm, I'm going to say symbiote. Okay, symbiote. <laughs> it's like like Venom from Spider-Man, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, so symbiote. Um, so he's got a thing called symbiote, which basically allows you to do view introspection through a website. So Frank injects a web server into the app, and then you can go to a special URL on localhost and – you can ha- you can see um, the view hierarchy and like click through it and and that kind of stuff, which is kind of cool. But for me, there was something that was happening there where when I 
ran Frank on an app, it was corrupting the binary from Xcode, the non-Frank version. And so when Frank tried running, it was just like a black screen. And then I'd have to delete the app off the simulator and then run the Frank command, which would inject it properly and then put it on the simulator and then it would run. But then if I wanted to run the version from Xcode, um, I'd have to go through the same process again because Xcode would try building it. The binary or something is still corrupted on the simulator, so I'd have to delete the Frank version and then run it. It was just kind of, it was kind of a pain in the neck. Um, to deal with that again that could that's probably not something that's happening everywhere because i can't imagine that not being a deal breaker for most people um and i know a bunch of people who use frank so um so yeah but then the other thing was i just didn't want to write my tests in ruby you know especially cucumber i didn't want to write them in cucumber cucumber uses a lot of regular expression stuff so yeah you write your scenarios in plain text in a text document and then that gets parsed with a regular expression engine through cucumber which call dynamically calls um ruby methods that take a so i say like in plain text i'll say uh given a user given an admin user right so i just have that string of text and Cucumber takes that line and then it runs that. I have, a, I have another file with all of the setup stuff. And there are Ruby methods that say like when, or I think, it, I think it's even given, like the method name would be given. And then I pass in a regular expression that would match an admin user do and then i pass a block so that does that does that make sense you look confused <laughs> <laughs> thanks for calling me out I'm trying, to, I'm trying to sound smart you just gave me away no i no. <laughs> the, well i'm explaining regular expressions over <laughs> over a call this isn't like low-level <laughs> crap let's get my grandma on the line yeah okay look nana regular expressions <laughs> Let's back up. What's a computer? <laughs> <laughs> no, but so does that does that make sense? Like your method, your methods in Cucumber, they have a regular expression, and when the regular expression matches the line, it does that thing inside the block for the method. I think I get it. the The whole point was to be able to write your tests in natural language, yes, right? Yes. The idea yeah. behind Cucumber is that like you wouldn't even be the one writing the tests right the developer wouldn't be the one writing the tests it'd be like the project manager or someone would be the one that writes out the specs of all the tests of the specs for everything that needs to happen in the app and then you would be able to implement those through cucumber um i know uh, a friend of mine works on an app um using and they're using frank and they're doing some like diabetes stuff so like testing testing blood sugar levels and stuff and they have to conform to fda regulations for all this stuff right oh yeah so they're just under an enormous amount of pressure to to um you know they have to they have to conform to all these regulations so they're using frank and what they've actually done is they their their cucumber scenarios are the spec that they pass to the fda so they he said it takes some like 
four hours to run their acceptance testing suite through Frank. But holy crap! But then they print out they print out this just book worth of cucumber specs, and then they hand that to the FDA, and here's like here's everything that our app does exactly, you know. And so in that in that sense, it works really great. But that's not me. I'm no, I'm not working on that app. I don't. It's a lot of overhead for me to to want it. So that's why that's one of the reasons that I didn't want to use use Frank specifically. Um, so we settled on Kiwi, and Kiwi is kind of nice. Or no, we didn't. What am I talking about? We settled on Kif, and Kif is kind of cool in that it's all Objective C, and um, it has a interesting it took me a little while to kind of figure out a pattern that i like to use with it but you have it's man it's like all categories you're just building categories you're writing categories on kif test scenario or kif test step and there's like a lot of weird metaprogramming stuff going on where it's looking at all the methods declared on kif test scenario and running a running them against a regex that says does the method start with scenario to test something and it's adding those to a list. And so, like, you don't have to tell it to run anything. It'll just run every scenario that starts with that string. And it, it works. I mean, it works really well. Like, we have a pretty extensive – it takes a good five, ten minutes to run our, our test suite, which I think – I thought was extensive before my friend told me it took him, like, four hours to run theirs. Uh, well, that's pretty good for an integration test. I mean, it, it – it flies through it pretty quickly. Do you disable animations system wide for your tests? I did. I did recently. Be I did recently in order to fix some failures on iOS seven because of a way that they changed animations between views between view controllers. I disabled animations because I was getting some weird uh, view controller corruption stuff. Um, from another library that we're using. So the easiest way was just to uh, disable animations app-wide. But KIF, KIF actually, it's not... KIF has delay built into it to... In order, in order for it to be able to... It's expecting there to be animations, right? It's not expecting you for t- to turn them off. So there is a certain amount of delay built into KIF. So turning off animations doesn't actually slow down the tests that much. It speeds up some of the assertions, but mostly like the click, like tap this button, tap this thing. It's like tap this button, and then there's probably a point four, a point four second delay built into at, at in KIF built into just tapping that that button, you know, because it's expecting to tap the button and then wait for the wait for the animation to finish and then do something. Yeah. Any problems with KIF? Intermittent intermittent failures, right? Like, it, when I get a failure in KIF, I usually have to run it again because I'm not sure if it's KIF getting something just dead wrong or if it's actually, uh, like, a legit failure. There's just tons and tons and tons of um, false positives. That's KIF. the worst. Yeah. Right, because the problem there is that if you don't trust your testing framework to test your app, then you're not going to use them right exactly um yeah so that's that's kind of a problem um i'm not a huge fan of the structure uh i've kind of forced the page model object pattern into kif so my scenarios in kif are very short and make heavy use of step groups well-named step groups so my scenarios will be like you know i'll have the scenario description 
so the way Kif t- test scenarios look is you have a scenario to test, you know, um, scenario to test that I can add a user. And then inside that, you'll create a scenario, give it a description, and then add steps to the scenario. The way we were doing it before was each one of those steps was like step to tap button with accessibility label add. Step to, right, it's like creating them in the scenario. So the scenarios would be, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 lines long. And they'd be, everything was spelled out in the scenario. Kind of hard to read. Ended up having comments in there describing like this block of group, uh, this block of steps does this. This block of steps does that. That kind of thing. Yeah. Really ugly. I was not happy with it. So I started moving everything into categories on KIF test step where like every every view at that point or every view controller has a has its own set of steps and they're well named so it'll be you know scenario add steps from array kif test step steps to add user right that's like the whole thing and then inside that add user it may have a dozen steps like i don't know it may be one it may be a dozen but i always use this you know group of groups of steps and they're always i try to always name them as descriptive as possible which is kind of that page object model thing right just like just give me one more level of abstraction and it just cleans stuff up a lot yeah you had asked before about running into problems with testing like not being able to refactor stuff that the way i would in normal code because of the frameworks and this is probably one of those places where I have, right? Like, I, I've had to do hackier stuff in KIF because I don't have access to the actual view hierarchy. So, like, scrolling to the top of a view, for example, seems like a, it should be a simple thing. And I've had to hack it in, like, half a dozen ways. And I keep, like, redoing it, you know, trying to get it to tap the status bar at the top of the screen and that wasn't really working very well and so then it's like forcing a swipe to happen on in the downward direction on a cell that may or may not be on screen you know what i mean just kind of like really hacky kind of stuff um to get that kind of a thing happening which it seems like should be an easy thing i'm surprised that nobody has tried to add that to kiff like given this scroll view, like let's animate its content offset back to, you know, like CG point zero. Right. Right. But you, you don't have access to the scroll view, right? So like that's that's one of the problems is you have to you'd have to you have to Yeah. It should be it should I'm, be in KIF, right? Scroll to the top or scroll to the bottom. That's what I meant. Yeah. I, I I meant I'm surprised that nobody has tried to patch KIF yeah. to support this. Or is it that people have tried to patch KIF and just sits there. It's taking forever to get things pulled in. Yeah. Um, that's totally possible. (laughs) Uh, I'm not super confident with the ways I'm not super confident that kit that square is using KIF at this point. And I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how important the project is to them. Um, in fact, last week, two weeks ago, it's not under the Square name anymore, actually. So I don't even know if it is a Square project at this point. Um, you mean on, Get- on GitHub? Yeah, yeah, it's no on longer GitHub. part of yeah. the... 
the Square organization. Right. It's under its own KIF dash framework organization. Um, so it was started by Square. Um, I don't know who started it at Square. Somebody started at Square. Um, I heard it was someone that ended up leaving or that it was in that it was like an intern or something that was there and then moved on or got promoted to full time. So they didn't have time to work on it anymore or something, but there was definitely like a lot of development on it first. And then something happened and it just kind of has been stagnant for a while. Every now and then they'll kind of come in and merge a few pull requests that are getting a lot of attention there was like it was flat out broken on iOS 7 for the past i don't know when was iOS 7 released i mean since since iOS since beta 1 right so we're in beta 5 um beta, beta six. 6 whatever uh, so we're in beta 6 now and since beta 1 it was it has been broken up until 2 weeks ago i think they, they oh, wow. finally merged and it was a, it was an easy fix. Like the guy came in and he submitted this. There was a pull request sitting there for three months, two three months, just sitting there without a word that fixed the problem, right? And not only did it fix the problem, it actually added a test suite to Kif, which apparently didn't exist before. Um, That's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. But he added a test suite to Kif, like it was an app that that tested all, that all the that all the steps would work properly and that everything inside kiff would work properly added all this stuff submitted a pull request and then it sat there for two months and it's just kind of like dude like this it literally doesn't build on ios 7 because they were looking for an instance variable that doesn't exist on ios 7 or at least if it exists they changed the name of it i'm not sure which but you know like it was it, it wouldn't even compile and it was just sitting there for months um and they finally did merge it in, but that's kind of their pattern, right? Is to kind of hang back, hang around. Stuff sits around for months without any word, and then they just come in and they'll merge a couple things. So I don't think that there's any pull requests open for doing stuff like that, uh, like scrolling to the top, but I suppose there could be. I guess it's hard because KIF is built on top of private api right well, it's not even it's synthesizing everything I, as far as i know it's not even built on top of ui automation so so no no no, not ui automation i mean it's using private oh yes within yes within UI it's, it's completely synthesizing touch events and and faking the whole thing frank frank is actually built on top of ui automation like i said it's built on top of it in hacky not a hacky way but it's they have to wrap ui automation with public automation in order to get to it, but it's at, it's at least built on a solid Apple-supplied framework. Even if it's a private framework, it's at least worked on by Apple. And we know that going forward, there's going to be backward compatibility. I mean, there's like an entire team at Apple that's all about binary compatibility and making sure that things don't break wildly. But I mean, that's just what you get when you use private API. So we've kind of landed KIF for integration testing and Kiwi for unit testing is kind of what we're recommending at the moment. Like today, yeah, but I'm not honestly super happy with the KIF thing. Um, I don't have a better recommendation other than looking into Frank or Woken. There's another one, and I, I'm, I, I'm blanking on. There's a bunch of these things, right? I mean, there's just a ton of them. Frank and Woken are the two that that 
stand out to me. There's another one that came out super recently and I looked at it and I can't remember what it was called, but I looked at it and I felt like it had, it was making a lot of the same mistakes that Kiff was making, um, which made me reluctant to not, not in terms of management, just in terms of structure. Um, like I said earlier, I'm really not that interested in monolithic frameworks that do everything for me. Like Kiff, Kiff does, like I said, it synthesizes its own touches. It has its own view selection engine and it does assertions and it has a test runner. And that's a lot, (laughs) you know? Uh, And the problem there is that like, if my client wants to move off Kiff at this point, they're kind of screwed. They kind of have to rewrite everything in order to change this one thing. And that's not, that's not awesome. But so unless, unless something changes in the way Kiff or Square or whoever is in charge of Square, whoever's maintaining, or sorry, whoever's maintaining Kiff at this point, be it Square or whoever, um, unless something changes in the way that they're maintaining it, I, I just don't trust it to work for the long run. You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> we actually forked Kiff into a private repository and I just applied the changes that I needed in order to fix it. Right. You and that's do what you got to do. And that's totally a band-aid move, right? That's just not that's that's like okay, let's get it up and running on iOS 7 so that we can reevaluate this and maybe we should find a new framework to to look at. Yeah. Maybe this is just the state of integration testing until Apple makes a move on their end and it, it like opens up that uh that objective C API for driving the UI. Right. I that would be that that would be that would be it for me, right? Like if they op- even if they just opened up public automation or sorry UI automation, and then they have some kind of view selection engine, then then we could build frameworks on that, right? Like those that would be a totally solid base for us to build another framework that wraps up that wraps up the common interactions into something nice that works inside. So my my dream honestly, is to be able to run my integration, acceptance, my whatever, my UI level tests. I want to run them from the exact same framework that I'm running my unit test from, right? I want to run them from Kiwi or Specta or OC unit or whatever. I don't care what that is. Whatever I decide, and that's what they do on the Rails side, right? That's, again, like the whole idea of like the Rails guys being – their their frameworks are more mature than ours and they're at a place where they have very solid tools under them. What they're doing is they're running their integration tests and their UI level testing. They're running it from our spec. Um and if we could we could get there, that would be killer, you know, that would be amazing. So they're using our spec to make all of the assertions. Unit test, integration test doesn't matter. The actual assertions are being made by one framework, and that's what you want. Exactly, that's what I want. I don't want. I don't want a framework that does the driving and the, you know, the the UI interactions and the view lookups and the assertions and the driving of the tests. I want a framework that drives the UI and maybe does some view lookups, and then I want to make assertions based on that through the page object model pattern. But I want to make those assertions with Kiwi. I want to make those assertions with Specta. Um, I want to make those with the same thing. 
I, I don't want to. I don't want to have to switch contexts. You know what I mean? And I don't want to have to switch contexts. I don't want to have to mentally say. I'm writing an integration test now, so I'm going to write it like this. Or I'm writing a unit test now, so I'm going to write it like this. I just want to write tests. Yeah. Sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. Gordon, I think you might have some opinions on testing. One or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So show notes for this episode uh, will be able to be found at learn.thoughtbot.com slash build phase slash four. You can also contact us by emailing us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com. We're also available on Twitter and app.net, just at thoughtbot. This episode was produced by Chad Pytel and recorded and edited by Mike Manor.